0: Welcome to the Ride of My Life podcast. I'm Caroline Rena, and here let the Ride Inside adventure begin. I will share what it's like on my own healing journey and through what I learn and become aware of provide insight to your journey as well. Everyone, welcome to the Ride of My Life podcast. I'm Caroline Rena, and uh this is season two, episode five, I believe. So moving right along. Uh I am now in West Palm Beach again. I've been here for probably about the last week. I'm getting ready to uh head out to North Carolina into my next adventure, and um, This week I wanted to, I'd be remiss not to talk about Valentine's Day because it just happened and it was very interesting, um, some of the stuff that came up for me and in understanding myself, who I am, and how Valentine's Day shows up, you know, like on social media and within relationships and different things like that. Um, As a little girl, I loved Valentine's Day. I used to hand out the little Valentine cards that came in the packages to my friends at school. Um, I made cutouts of hearts and drawings, and it was just one of my favorite holidays. And uh, in the years... After that, when I was in um, relationships, Hallmark probably made, made a name for itself with the cards, all of the cards that I used to buy because I just love to purchase cards for those that I loved. So um, on that note, this year, I didn't have a significant other to, in my life to lavish my gifts on, um, so to speak. And... I did learn though some a great deal about love and this kind of love. People talk about it all the time, and a lot of us really don't understand how it works. I haven't, um, and that is self love. And um, I learned why it was missing in my life, and I've discovered what I am doing or can do to regain it. So hopefully this will help in understanding what it is and, um, help you to see that you are absolutely worthy and, um, you matter in, to yourself in, in loving yourself. And that's what I've figured out. (laughs) So I'm just going to go real quick on, uh, Valentine's day. Um, the history, the origin of the day is, is really vague, um, but there's a legend that I'm going to share from you. I looked it up. I just happened to find it on this website. I don't know, you know, how, how much truth there is to it or not, but this, I found it on indie, indian Express.com. Um, and any truth, any history really conveys the beliefs and the, um, perceptions of the individual that's sharing it. So, um, those in and of themselves can be, there can be many perceptions uh, in any aspect because we all have a different perception from where we come from. So here goes. (laughs) So the story of Valentine's Day, it starts with some information on St. Valentine, who secretly defied the emperor—I can't remember the name of the emperor right now—but the orders to marry, and so he married couples, sparing the husbands from going to war, and that resulted in Saint Valentine being beheaded by the emperor. Um, to uh, to then celebrating, make marking the death anniversary of Saint Valentine's. St. Valentine in mid-February in 270 AD. So there's a lot of weird stuff behind this, and it's kind of strange, but that's okay. History tends to do that. But uh, there's also been some information that it was traced back to Lupercalia, which is a Roman festival for fertility. And also there was a belief that the day was celebrated in an attempt by the church To give it a religious twist. So I'm, my assumption is that back in the day, it used to be more, um, you know, uh, nature-based religions and they didn't, and they wanted the religious twist to it. Um, I don't know. That's what I gathered from the information. So anyway, during the festival, men and women were paired based on a lottery and most ended up in marriage. And at the end of the fifth century, it was decided that it would be the date to celebrate St. Valentine. And there were a few other legends, and Valentine's Day was also mentioned in a poem by medieval author Geoffrey Chaucer in 1381, where some people consider this to be the origin of the modern celebration of love by historians. But wait, what's love got to do with this? So yesterday, when I started writing this, I was actually talking about Monday, this past Monday, when um, Valentine's Day occurred. And so, uh, for me, the discovery of love turned out to be much different between Monday and today. And why is that? Well, I'm discovering self-love, self-worth, and self-esteem, maybe more fully for the first time in my life. And how did that happen? Well, like I said, there's, there was no significant other to celebrate um, Valentine's Day with. So, uh, I decided that I would start to. Well, I didn't even really decide. It kind of made its made its debut in my face through <laughs> some things that that happened. But um, it turned out to be the beginning of the of a, an amazing awareness. So especially between everything that had been going on for the last month. Um, all these things opened up. I'm starting to see things differently, starting to learn things about myself differently, all this stuff. So um, so anyway, after I worked all day and I decided I was going to sit down and make a Valentine's card I used to make as a child, which in essence is a piece of, um, oh, no, I forgot the name of the paper. Uh, it's the, I don't know. Anyway, I made it on a piece of paper, red piece of paper, and maybe it'll come to me later. I'll pop in with it later, but I put it on a piece of paper. I did my drawings and I gave it, I used to make these as, as a child and I gave it to my former partner's daughter and I, d- I had the opportunity to get to stay with them, uh, spend some time with them. So we had a really, really uh, powerful visit. I had some really, really uh, big things come up for me, and um, this is what came up after we connected and, you know, exchanged cards and everything, but um, construction paper, I told you I would get it. (laughs) Okay, so anyway, I took the opportunity again. Like before when I was in West Virginia, I was working on EMDR and bilateral stimulation with kinesiology and speaking, you know, the narrative or the beliefs that I be- believed in, which switched things around in my body and mind to not believe those the things that I believed anymore, such as I have to suffer in order to get my needs met. That was a big one. So this time, Before I left West Virginia, my friend who was working with me suggested that I do EMDR again on a motorcycle accident that I had been in in 2006. Because the actual physical part of, um, I'll explain this in a minute, the physical part of a trauma also sticks in your body. Not just the emotions, not just the mental part of it, not just spiritually, the physical stuff stays there. And obviously it's going to have a physical trauma on your body because there was an injury if there was an injury. So anyway, um, so I explained on the last, uh, uh, blog and podcast that I, how I had driven, how I ended up driving down in the direction that we went, where I, where we got into the motorcycle accident, me and my ex-husband. And, um, So I work through a lot of emotions with that. If you want to get go and look back at that just to see what happened with that, great, Um, and catch yourself back up here. But um, I mentioned that, again, that trauma is held in the body and the subconscious, and it all works this way. So when I was saying the thing about the physical trauma, it could be from an accident, it could be from surgery, it could be a birth trauma, um, or it can be an emotional trauma, for example, neglect. So, um, which is where a lot of mine came from as a child. So what I just want to make clear that I'm understanding is that the body records every single event, traumatic event, uh, good event, all things get stored in the body. And mostly we don't know it. And so um, what did I learn about this? So what I, well, actually I relearned about codependency, narcissism, and devaluing myself. And I knew I was always putting others' needs before my own to the point where my system, both my nervous system and emotional system, were running my life. And I also discovered that, which there was like an underlying thing with this for me for a long time, but it wasn't expressed until Monday night, That I believe that I uh, have an inherently serious flaw. And a lot of us believe that from childhood because that's how we took life in. And if something was... If we weren't nurtured, then there's something wrong with us. Or if somebody, you know, yelled at us, then we, then we didn't feel good about ourselves because we thought we did something wrong or whatever. So we felt like we were flawed and that's what I picked up on in a different way this time, because I, you know, I've heard this stuff before, but I never really took it in like this. And it was a, it was like a belief, what I call a belief system fuel on how i did my life. And this flaw consistently led me into toxic shame and had me believing that I had no value. And I felt like I was diminished to nothing or almost nothing. And I always put myself last. That's what it felt like. And it felt like that even as it was coming up because I in order to notice it and understand it, I just had to feel that again. And it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be because I did have someone there obviously supporting me doing it, but, um, it'll hurt a little bit. you will cry, you know, or whatever reaction comes up, but it helped. And what was interesting is how it helped. And so I'm going to start with that. So the belief I had that came up because of the motorcycle accident. So we're going through this whole thing. And the belief that came up was I don't matter. And one of the reasons why I don't matter, and I can't remember specifically um, exactly how this came up in my head, but there was something about the fact that in my relationship with my second husband, uh, after the accident, it was almost like he didn't care that I was involved in it, with him like he's a real tough guy and very strong as far as being able to deal with things so things unless it was something you know um it was weird because if it was something with me at that point it was like i didn't matter um if it was obviously with his kids his adult kids and you know his family or whatever because that part of his family it mattered we were already on the outs anyway, I guess, and which which was weird because yeah, it, it was just anyway. I don't want to get into that. Obviously, that was a long story. So this isn't about him. <laughs> this is about me and the fact that I felt like I didn't matter. And when did it begin? And so the crazy thing, as I was doing the EMDR, was I realized that it probably began when I was born. I've told the story before. Um, And of course, I have no mental recollection of it, of what happened, because my body is holding, was holding the trauma. It may still be. I don't know that yet. Um, As it holds all traumas, as I explained, but it even holds the pre-verbal ones where we don't even know what's going on, where we don't. We have no understanding of what happened where we don't know what emotions and, and um, any of that stuff feels like because, and of course, we can't express it. So um, I mentioned that story that I, had heard, that I had read in the court paperwork where my mother left me in the hospital room to go and take care of other patients in the hospital as she used to volunteer uh, as a Red Cross, nurse, uh, Red Cross volunteer. And so she left me, and that made me feel, apparently, like I didn't matter, but that was the first one. That was the thing that we first went back to. What did that do? Um, Basically, it triggered how I felt about myself and how I behaved myself in every relationship that I ever had, and it also showed me how the relationship with my mother and my father were that I didn't matter. And it it felt like it it brought that up too. So what I recognized was I was so desperate to matter to my mother that every person in my life became her, including me. And I hope you're understanding what I'm saying here. I hope that what I uh, explain here kind of points that out. But she always put others first. I put others first. I didn't, count, I didn't count in this life, and everything about my life became about the fact that I didn't count. Now, I did not have a relationship with my mother. She was out of my life from the time I was 12 until, I want to say, in my late 30s, and then again for 10 years until I was in my 40s. Um, so as a result, I became codependent desperately wanting to make sure others were okay. So I would feel safe and loved. And so I attracted narcissists into my life because I felt that I didn't matter to anyone. And hopefully that makes sense because um, here's what happens. Or here's part of what happened. Even the few people in my life who did think I mattered, I couldn't even see it because I was so used to not being seen by... The narcissist in my life. That's the best way I can explain it. And I consistently waited when I did have people who saw me for the other shoe to drop with them. So at one point, at what point, when are you going to stop seeing me? When are you going to stop caring about me? When am I going to stop mattering to you? You know, that type of thing. So um, now, in relation to narcissists, whoever the other person is. In relationship with the narcissist does matter to them, but it they don't matter to them for for the sake of the relationship for the other person. It only matters to the narcissist that that it matters for them for what they want for what they need, you know. And they're they're broken, not broken. I don't like that word. They're hurt too, and hurt people hurt people. So um, so the codependent who got into the relationship with the narcissist sees that they're hurt or broken and immediately understands their pain because they've been through it and they know what it feels like and they want to help them. But the narcissist already knows that he can, at that point, that they can, he, in my case, that he can get, well, it could be anybody really. And women can be narcissists as well. I think we all have a little narcissism in us, Um, but they they know what it feels like well i said the, the i knew what it felt like and i wanted to help i wanted to make them feel better it was always about them the other for me because um here's what happens is that when i did this it was to the de- the detriment of me and i gave up all rights to myself because i put it in in their court because Um, I wanted something, and I'll explain what I wanted in a minute. So it becomes a downhill, slippery slope from the first encounter with a narcissist, and it only gets worse on each subsequent relationship with a narcissist. And usually once you start that behavior, you're going to keep attracting. That's what I did. I kept attracting narcissists until I choose now not to do that anymore. I'll get into that as as well. So when I already felt like I didn't matter, I had to look for ways to be loved. And I found them and immediately began taking care of them and totally ignored me until I started recognizing that I was ignoring myself. And the worse it got as the years went on, the more I found that not only did I not matter to them, that especially in the most recent time, I started, well, each time I didn't matter to myself anymore, but I recognized that most recently, especially with this EMDR session that I had, that I didn't, that it was like, wait, whoa, okay, so I just don't matter to me, and that's not good, because when we don't matter to ourselves, then there's nothing left, you know, there's no self-love, there's no whatever, and I felt self-love, but this is like a whole different variation of it, because now I'm starting to see how it looks like in relation to other people, not just self-love, I have self-love, I feel, I love myself, But I didn't understand what it was like in relation to other people until I started walking through this piece in the last few days. So then I find out that the price of healing from codependency is guilt. Oh, boy, just what I need. More guilt in my life. (laughs) So guilt for not taking care of them more for them telling me that I was selfish, to the guilt for not taking care of myself, to the guilt for recognizing that I was being codependent with them so I could recognize the thoughts and beliefs of codependency. So it was a vicious circle. It was like going from them to me, back to them, back to them and me, back to, it 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 was nuts. And as I let go of putting others first, I also feel guilty about that because I'm so used to being codependent and helping others. And that doesn't work. <laughs> so <clears throat> there's, there's a little history here. Again, I was parentified by my mother, who even as a four-year-old when I was four, I was meant to put her first and make sure I told her I loved her and ask her about her health. And this happened again when I was 43 year, years old. Now, a four-year-old child isn't supposed to worry about their mother. And if there is a narcissistic mother in the picture and they expect you to worry about them, that's not your job. But it took me a long time to figure that out. And I was angry with her for a very long time because it it was my favorite thing was she put it in my court and then gave me a, a guilt trip by saying, I bore you. Like I had a choice that I was born, you know? And so that stuck with me my entire life. It wasn't fair. And now I get to take a look at it, take responsibility for that and work through it, but it happened and it's okay. And I have done the forgiveness work on her with her and she's since passed and I understand also where she was coming from. So it helped me to work through all that stuff. Uh, Anyway, um, but the guilt it lived inside of me of doing it right for her and never for me, and it showed up in every single one of my relationships, and that was such a wake up call. And I want to add here that generally anyone who blames you for behaving a certain way is behaving in the same way, but they just don't see it. They don't. Con- they they either consciously recognize it and they don't want to take responsibility for it, or it's subconscious and they don't you know, it's not on the surface. They don't know that they're doing it. And we all do this in some way. And we all think that someone will behave the same way we do, whether it's like, oh, well, I'm the type of person that I'm always on time. So I expect you to be on time. Um, And not everybody is on time, whatever that looks like, or something negative, like, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, move in with, uh, a married woman. And I suspect that you're going to do that too. And not necessarily, you know, you know, the, the, the ex-husband moving in with a married woman or the neither one of them, and then expecting that, you know, that was the case for the other person. That's not, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way because we don't, we aren't the same people, but we see that somehow with, with each other in certain ways when we're not aware, when we don't take responsibility for our own behavior and our own behavior that, that comes from the traumas or whatever happened when we were little. So there, it, there's a whole bunch of things going on here. It's a lot of information and it's sometimes it's not easy to keep up with, but I'm doing my best to share it, even though I know it's kind of all over the place. So bear with me. Um, and then here's where self-compassion comes in. So. Self-compassion encompasses self-love, self-worth, and self-esteem, which I mentioned earlier. And um, I had no idea what any of that was because... My concern was always about getting my needs met that I never got as a child. So I wasn't taking responsibility because I really didn't know what I was doing at that point. And I was so busy trying to get the narcissist to take care of those needs and love me. Those were the needs. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be heard, whatever, you know, that type of, I wanted to matter, but it didn't work and backfired. And so I turned everything on its head to make sure I was the one that could do it for them. And that was not a good idea. And I kept doing it and until I, you know, I'll be in the last couple of days recognized. So in the process, every time I lost everything I knew about myself because I gave my entire self to them. And I had mentioned that in a lot of times I was being told that I was being selfish and I'm like watching this whole thing and I'm doing this, I'm doing that, making sure they're happy, making sure everything's going on, putting myself, uh, last, and then being being made to feel guilty for being selfish or not doing more for them. So that's a whole nother ball game. And I'll 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 explain how you work how you can work through that piece of it. So that's the challenge because for years I was told I was selfish that I only did for myself. I was only looking out for myself. And my discovery was that it was a coping mechanism that I used for self-protection because of the codependency. That I had no idea what to do with or for before I realized fully what was going on. And then the tables began to turn. And I saw what I was doing and why. And my reactions of desperately finding a way to take care of myself after I'd already established, this is how you can treat me. And it was okay for me to be codependent. And that turned on me. And when someone is already in a relationship, they get used to a behavior that we offer. They don't like it when we begin to, to step away from that behavior um, because they want to hold on to it for themselves. So it's really, <laughs> it's a catch-22 when you're working in with people who are um, traumatized in the same relationship. And more than, more, than, more times than not, you're not going to see someone who hasn't done their work with someone who is Um, Heal, you know, more healed, more regulated than we are in a relationship together because they won't put up with it. And until we figure it out and take responsibility and do something about it, we're going to end up in the same relationship that we keep, that we've had over and over again until we learn how to deal with it um, and to work through it. And so um, for me, that happened in every relationship. So now I also see how we're told in our society, and both men and women are told this, I think maybe more women than men, that's the, that's the you know, because I've, I've seen that. However, I'm sure men have been told this as well, that we need to take care of everyone else before ourselves, because we're selfish if we don't, and be there for everyone else. And that's to the detriment of ourselves and our souls. And that's not the answer to this. It wears us down, puts us into all kinds of coping strategies. And in some cases, it creates a situation where one feels like the only way out is suicide because of situations similar to this one. And that's not how life is supposed to be. This is not what life is supposed to be like. And we're blindsided to how things are going for people. Um, When we're in our, you know, when we think we feel safe and when we're in a good space and everything. (laughs) excuse me and it just blindsides us to what's going on out there and there are people out there who look perfectly emotionally mentally physically spiritually healthy who are not they just are good at making themselves look that way because they don't feel safe either to talk about it because for many many years mental health has been a taboo because people think you're crazy. If you talk about it, you're hysterical. Women are always hysterical, you know, and that's not true. That's just how we're made up. And the hysteria doesn't, there's no hysteria. It just, that's, we're, we're expressing feelings that we're not allowed to express because society doesn't like when we express feelings. So how do you work in that? You, you don't. And so I'm choosing to do it a little differently. I don't, consider this being outspoken about it because my own personal journey. So I'm just sharing what I've learned and that's what I'm seeing. And it's, it's crazy. It's just ridiculous how things are put out there for us to believe in. And we get to figure out how to cope with it. And that's not how it should be. Life isn't about coping. It's about living. And so, um, I'm finding out that I am the only person that needs to take care about what matters to me. It's nice to matter to others, and that's a bonus when they, when we do matter to them. When I can fully find that self-love and how much I matter to myself, the self-worth and the self-esteem comes automatically in that territory, and that's where I'm touching. I'm, I'm just walking into that. I'm just starting to feel it. I can see a difference. I can feel a difference Um, and I'm also recognizing too, that from the past, uh, podcasts I've done, uh, I can see a difference. There are days where it's like, oh, I get it, you know, and then there are days where I'm like, oh, but I, oh my God, you know, it's, it's just, it's really cool to, to watch what's going on. Um, and here it is. The big answer is that I get to be selfish. And I get to put the mask on first on this plane ride before I take care of other people. And also, there's a line drawn with caring for others who can't care for themselves and caring for others who don't want to care for themselves and, or, and want others to do things for them. So I want you to know the difference between that. So when I'm talking about you know being codependent, that's different. There, there are things where there are people out there that we do need to take care of because they can't. For physical, mental, emotional, whatever that is, they just can't do it. But then there are people out there, like in, in my experience, the narcissists in my life was were like that. They appreciated the fact that I was caring for them, even though they didn't need me to. They were perfectly capable of it. And I still did it because I wanted them to love me. So there's, there's this whole mishmash of, of stuff going on here. So for my whole life, I've been afraid of the outcomes of loss. So I molded myself into Gumby to prevent the loss or whatever the outcome might be of having to fix something that I didn't believe that I could handle. And well, I can, oddly, every time something comes up in my life, I have handled it. And that's the crazy part. I just don't remember it sometimes. And I just get to believe that about myself now that I am capable of of doing it and I'm telling you with the, with the, um, with trauma, with a shot nervous system from so much stress and cortisol going through your body and that kind of thing, there's times when, you know, your brain says what the answer is and your body does not respond very well to it because it's stuck in the stress response and that's what's been going on and it's hard to control that. And then when people start to say, well, why are you stuck in the past and why, are you, you know, whatever, that's not what's going on. My body is reacting to it. My brain has already gotten through all that stuff in my body. So that's what I'm saying. The stuff sticks in your body. Your body remembers the trauma. And so the body reacts to it. It's not the mind reacting necessarily. It follows sometimes. And sometimes it leads, you know, by telling us stories. But anyway, <clears throat> having said that, so here's what I get to do. And hopefully you can get something from this as well i get to i get to forgive myself for all of the things that i did imperfectly and there were plenty of things that i did imperfectly but that doesn't mean that i was imperfect i get to treat myself with the same kindness that i would give to a stranger on the street and in every way that i behaved i did it because i didn't know any better at the time and it was really mucked up way of keeping myself safe but that's what i did And now what I know is that I get to do better, I know better, and I get to work on shifting the old behavior into who I really am, the truth inside, the truth of me, the truth of who I am. And that's what my work is here. And to show that it's possible, and I say that every time because, geez, man, if I can do it, anybody can do it. You just, there are certain things that you need to start with. One is a decision. One is just... I don't want to live like this anymore, being brave and just saying, okay, I'm ready, you know, and even if it sucks or it hurts or something, just do it. Just be persistent because it gets better. I've been doing I've been doing this for over 30 years. If I can make this easier on someone to, to share this stuff to make it happen quicker, yay, that's what I'm looking for. Okay. So I had to be in every relationship this is what i I've, I've accepted and i found that i had to be in every relationship to include my parents so i could learn these things be hurt by them and see for myself how i get to stand up for me it doesn't feel good and i don't know absolutely 100% the reason why i've heard things you know that we our souls chose this Uh, path to start on and then we made decisions and we still have free will and all these things but we're still learning we're always learning we're always growing let yourself do that that's what i'm doing and i'm finding things that are so different from what i used to know and it's insane and it's wonderful and i hope that you can find that too and uh um the biggest thing is how I get to stand up for me because I count, because I matter, because I've got this and so do you. And so I just want to say that this crazy, like I'm calling it the ride inside adventure, this crazy ride inside on the ride of my life. I don't know where this is going. I don't know what it's doing. And I love it. I love every minute of it because I get to incorporate the emotional, the mental, the physical, the spiritual, and the, the rides wherever I'm going, I get to experience new people. I get to um, learn from them. I get to I get to see what I didn't get to see before because I was isolating myself and sticking myself in a hole where I felt like I was drowning. And so I just want to express to you that there is a way out. I'm gonna say that every single time because every single time I figure it out. I will say that. And then when I go back in the hole for a little bit to figure things out again, I will tell you that too. But um, anyway, I hope you got something out of this. I appreciate your um, uh, watching this. Thank you so much. And have a wonderful moment wherever you are. And I will see you next time on the Ride of My Life podcast. All right, take care. Bye-bye.